We're in Romans chapter 8. We're spending five weeks in one chapter of the Bible, and we're simply saying this, life is. All kinds of ways to fill that in, right? Life is, and however you fill that in, that's your philosophy of life. And so we've been looking at different things that life is, particularly, ready, lean in, particularly for someone who has attached their life to Jesus. Somebody who's attached their life to Jesus, Romans 8 is all about what life is. Somebody who's attached their life to Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in them. And so Paul is saying, here's what life is. The first thing he said, we looked at week one, is this. Life is freedom. That in Christ there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we're free from the power of sin. We're free from the penalty of sin. Love that, right? There's freedom for those in Christ. Last week, we said this, for those in Christ, they belong to Christ, right? And so therefore, life is belonging to the family of God. That's what life is, right? And so we belong. We are adopted children. We have this new intimacy with God. We literally say, Abba, Daddy, to God. It's fascinating, right? We have this new security, right? We have this security knowing he is a father who picks us up when we fall, right? But he loves us way too much to leave us where we're at. And we have this new power, right? New power to fight and kill sin in our lives. We belong to the family of God. Everybody look here a second. Paul's going to take a shift in the tone, okay? He's going to take a shift in the tone, and we need to do this. And, And really, this week goes with next week. And so if you're here this week, make sure you come back next week, Because this week's conversation goes hand in hand with what we're going to talk about next week. I want you to look at your Bibles, or we'll put it on the screen, beginning verse 17. Let's read it, make some observation. Now, if we are children, we talked about that last week, we are, then we are heirs, heirs of God. We talked about that, co-heirs with Christ, what Jesus gets, we get. That is mind-blowing. If indeed, look at this. We share in his, everybody say that word out loud, in his what? In his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Then Paul goes on and he doesn't stop. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, that's just his way of saying who are children of God, spirit of God lives inside, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. It's, it's really not what hope is. I can see it, right? Uh, but he says, who hopes for what they've already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, well, we wait for it patiently. Verse 26, in the same way, the spirit, which spirit? Spirit in us as children of God helps us in our weakness. We do not know sometimes what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Paul has said this, everybody lean in, life is freedom. Woo, love that. Life is belonging to the family of God. That's awesome, feel really good after that. And today, here's what he wants to tell us, and I want you to write it down. He says, life, ready? Life is hard. Can I get an amen on that? Life is hard. 
That's what he wants us to know this morning. And he's going to tease that out. I looked up a bunch of things and some of you have sent me some things. And each week I've been reading these little things, life is. And this week, some of you sent me these, life is hard. Somebody sent me this, after all, it kills you. Someone sent me this, life is very complicated. See if you can't relate with this. Life is very complicated. Don't try to find answers because when you do, life changes the questions. Anybody relate with that? Yeah. Life is not always fair. Amen on that? Life is not always fair. Life is rough, so you better learn to be tough, somebody sent to me. This one struck me. Uh, Life is hard, then you die. Then they throw dirt in your face, is what it says. (laughs) Be grateful what happens in that order, they wrote. Here's what I know. Let's just, I don't want to preach as much as I want to have a conversation. Can we do that this morning? Just have a conversation? For some of you, the fact, when I stand up here and say life is hard, here's what happens. It's a philosophical question and problem for you. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. I'd be happy to. For some of you, you grew up maybe as a child and you learned this little prayer, right? Some of you learned this prayer, God is great, God is good. Raise your hand if you learned that as a kid, God is great, God is good. And so when you come across life and life is hard, it creates a philosophical conundrum, a problem for you. Because you think to yourself, if God is so great, why can't he stop suffering? That's what you think. And if God is so good, why won't he? And all of a sudden, there's this philosophical conundrum that happens, and there's books that have been written, there's talks that have been given, there's debates that have been had. We did a whole series a couple years ago. You can go online, it's still up, you can check it out. But it creates this philosophical problem for some of us. And then there's a whole bunch of us, there's a whole bunch of us in the room even now that it doesn't simply create a philosophical problem, maybe it does do that, but it is a personal question. And the reason that it's a personal question is because some of us, and I'm looking in your eyes and I know some of your stories, some of us have been through some really hard times. And then there's others of us, guess what? There's others of us, we haven't been through hard times, we're in a hard time right now, this minute, this very hour. For some of us, it's relational. For some of us, it's marital. For some of us, circumstantial, financial. For some of us, it's physical, and some of us are here, and we're here, and it's not a philosophical question as much as, hey, I need to figure this out. For some of us, it's like, why me? Why now? Why this? And that's what we're thinking. And listen, listen, some of you have been through a hard time. Some of you are in a hard time. Everybody lean in, because you might be hearing like, well, I'm not in a hard time, and I haven't come out of a hard time. Then then guess what? Chances are really, really high that you're going to be in a hard time. Like, that's the human experience. That's what it means to be human. That's what it means to live. And Paul is just reiterating, life is hard. I love how real this section is. And he's just going to get real with us. And it's almost like he wants to paint this broad stroke to to help us understand life is hard. The very first thing he says, and you can write some of these things down, but it's just interesting to me. He kind of paints really broad at first. And he says, creation even is having a hard time. It's interesting. Did you see it in there we were reading? He says, verse 20, creation was subjected to frustration. Verse 21, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What Paul is saying, and you can see it, is that all of creation, you can look around and see this, creation is having a hard time. 
Creation is frustrated. Creation is groaning. I mean, you can see this. I think this is kind of what we see when there's all these natural disasters and things like that happening. Like even creation was affected by the fall that we talked about several weeks ago. That when Adam fell in the garden, all of a sudden it set off this whole idea of creation groaning. Like there's something that's not clicking quite right. Creation itself's having a hard time and waiting to be redeemed. That's a whole different sermon. That's a whole different series. That's a whole different understanding of ecology. By the way, different topic, your theology, what you understand, believe about God ought to instruct your ecology. And that's all he's saying here. And so we have been given responsibility to take care of the earth. We cannot divorce ourselves from that. And yet we understand that in taking care of the earth and in somehow making sure we're careful and responsible with the earth, we also realize that creation is having a hard time and waiting to be redeemed. It's interesting. Not only that, but he says this, God's children have hard times. Louis says, verse 17, now if we are children, we share in his sufferings. Verse 23, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits, that's children of the Spirit, grown inwardly. Listen, what he's saying is God's children are not exempt from hard times. Everybody listen, because I I have so many conversations and I want to debunk something. Some of you, here's what happens is uh, you watch preachers on TV and some of them are really good. Or you read books from the Christian bookstore, and some of them are really good, but the books from the Christian bookstore or the preachers on TV who tell you that God's children don't ever have hard times are lying to you. It's not true. In fact, when Paul's writing this, he's writing it to real people in a real situation. They would have understood when he says we have hard times, it wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, man, kind of hangnail today, hard time. That's not what these guys would have thought. These guys were living at a time where there was a guy who was in charge whose name happened to be Nero. And Nero would literally take people who claimed to be followers of Jesus and he would throw them to the lions. Not only that, but he would take people who claimed to be Christ followers, he would impale them, light them on fire and light his garden with them. When Paul talks, it's like, these people are like, oh, they're not just trying to balance their checkbook, and I'm not minimizing that. They're they're like, oh, yeah, we hear you, that God's children, sometimes they have hard times. But, But it's not just creation. It's not just God's children. The guy writing this, Paul, faced hard times. Look, he says, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings. He doesn't say your present sufferings. He says our present sufferings. And some of you are like, well, what does that mean? Some of you are like, I'm newer to the Bible. I don't even know who Paul is. And if you don't know Paul's life, you're like, I don't even understand what he's saying. Because when somebody tells me they're having a hard time, I'm not always sure what they mean, right? I mean, it can be very relative. It can change from person to person. For instance, Pastor Adam, the guy who was up here, his son, his name is Cooper, he started kindergarten this year. Yeah, and so this, I think it was this last week, somebody went up and said, hey, Cooper, how are things going? And Cooper is a guy who always has a smile on his face. He's like, just smiles all the time. He kind of looked at whoever asked the question, he said, the days are long, is what he said. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, so for him, he's like, life's hard. <laughs> like, I'm in kindergarten, Right? 
Or, or, or maybe you think, well, maybe Paul's like talking like the middle schooler I talked to recently. I'm like, hey, how's things going? Say, things are really hard. I'm like, really? Tell me about it. I want to know. I said, what's making life so hard? They said, I don't have any Wi-Fi at my house is what they said, right? Like, like life is over. Like, what does Paul mean when he says life is hard? Well, I think it's a good question. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you ought to write that down. Paul gives us a description in case you wondered if he's qualified to be talking to us about this. He says, I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five times, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. He's not done. He said, danger's my middle name. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, he's like, if that's not enough, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Let me ask you a question, and I don't need to delve into it. Do you guys think that Paul, the guy writing this, is qualified to talk to us about life is hard? Do you think so? Yeah. All of a sudden, for some of us, like, wow, my life doesn't seem that rough right now, right? Like, like he gives us this diary of hard times in his life. And this diary that he gives us, sometimes he suffered hardship because of injustice. Sometimes he suffered hard times because of circumstances. Sometimes he even served, he literally went through hard times at the hands of people who said, we're fellow believers. And then he says, then the pressure of just leading and, and, and somehow the, the burden of the churches, it's like all of this, it's like Paul is qualified to talk to us about what it means for life to be hard he says, life's hard, creation is frustrated, children of God cry. And then Paul says, I know all too well what this means. And here's what Paul wants to say. And then we're gonna be quick about this today. He's saying, life's hard. We know that. He said, don't give up. Life's hard. Listen, don't give up. Don't give up. That's what Romans 8 is all about. Life is hard. I don't want you to give up. Paul simply is stating something that if you look at God's word, if you just take a flyover of God's word, I love this about the Bible. So if you're newer to the Bible, let me tell you this, that if you just took a flyover of the Bible, God never skirts the reality of suffering in hard times. I love that. Like the Bible is real. The Bible is raw. In fact, Jesus himself in the book of John said this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Now, by the way, let me give you a context. In John 16, he is talking to his inner circle of disciples. This isn't preaching a sermon. He's like got his crew together. And he said, I want to tell you guys something. You're, you're followers of me. You've attached your life to me. And then he says this in yellow. Everybody read this out loud with me. He says, here on earth, you will. Hello. Like, I like the peace part, but he says, not you might. He says, you what? You will. And he says, you might not have a trial. He said, you'll have many. Take heart, though, I've overcome the world. His half-brother, James, he wrote a book called James. 
And he says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, but whenever, you face trials of many kinds. Listen, I I want you to get this and get your pens ready because you need to know this. Even if you're not going through a hard time right now, it's important to know this because you may, probably will face one at some point. That when God's word, when God talks to us about hard times that we face, there are several things that he wants us to know. First is this, hard times in my life are inevitable. I want you to write it down. Even if you're not in a hard time, haven't been through a hard time, they're inev- it's not an elective course. It is required study. Even for people who say they are children of God. Hard times in my life are inevitable. But but that's not all he says. When you look at what James says in particular, I want you to write this down. He says, hard times in my life are unpredictable. No one schedules their suffering. Can I get amen on that? Nobody does it. You don't wake up and say, today is a great day for a terrible day. Nobody says that, right? Nobody says, hey, you know, I think Monday... I think I'll pencil in Monday for the doctor to give me a bad diagnosis. Nobody does that. I think next Friday would be a great day to get fired from my job. Nobody does that. Next Tuesday, I'd like for my wife and I to get in a big old blowout fight. Nobody does that. In fact, hard times in your life come at the most inconvenient times. Anybody agreeing with me? Is there anybody? I know you don't face hard times, right? Is there anybody with me in the room? Hard times come at very inconvenient times. Can I just tell you about my, my, my day on Thursday? You may not know this. Thursday is when I, I, I literally kind of squirrel away and just study all day. I love it. Love Thursdays. I just pour over and read scripture, pray, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I love it. And, you know, my schedule's clear. And so I'm doing all this stuff, kind of preparing, because I'm going to preach a sermon that I want to make sure I'm teaching accurately, appropriately, clearly God's word. And the subject title is Life is Hard. Inevitably, when I preach a sermon, God says, hey, I want you to get this before you give it. <laughs> you tracking with where I'm going? And, and thir- Thursday was one of them days. Like, like it was one of those days when it was this, this constant barrage of unfortunate situations. I mean, I remember as it started, I'm like, I can't believe. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this call. My wife got home from work. She looked at me, came over to where I was at, and she just hugged me. She just started to cry. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is not good. And, and then we went through the evening, and it felt like it got worse. And finally, about 9 o'clock at night, we're sitting with my son, Aaron, and, 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 and my wife in, in the room. And she looks at me and says, what are you preaching on this week? <laughs> I said, well, I happen to be preaching on life is hard. She said, can you never do that again? (laughs) You know? (laughs) You see, God wants us sometimes to get it. It never comes when it's convenient. It's unpredictable. But there's something important that I want you to get, and I want to kind of tease it out a little bit. Not only is it inevitable, not only is it unpredictable, but hard times in my life are different than hard times in your life. This is so key, guys. I want you to write it down. I want to tell you why. That the hard time you're walking through is probably different than the hard time I'm walking through, which is probably different than the hard time the person behind you is walking through. Like, and that's okay. I think James puts it this way. Hard times in our life come in a lot of different packages. And the reason it's important for us to realize that hard times in your life are different than hard times in my life is because, listen, this is worth writing down, no screen for it, is because when I compare my hard time with your hard time, it is seldom helpful you ever been with somebody? It's like, I'm going through a really hard time. 
man, I'm really facing this really hard time. And they almost dismiss you and they say, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And you're like, probably not, you know? Or, or, or they say to you this, you ever had this happen? Like, you think that's hard. Let me tell you, right? Listen, listen, worth remembering, hard times, ready? Hard times in your life, in my life, when we go through hard times, it is not, ready, a competitive sport, right? It very seldom is helpful. But, but the other thing it helps me realize is this, is that, ready, we go through hard times for different reasons, So your hard times are different than my hard times. Comparing isn't that helpful, but there's different reasons we face hard times. You ever had the question, why do people face hard times? You ever have that question? Can I give you four answers? Like, I'm not trying to be exhaustive. Can I give you four suggestions? You ought to write these down, right? The reason I want to give you these four suggestions, everybody look here, is because, and I'm not picking on TV preachers, but I do feel a need to tell you that not all TV preachers are saying things that are accurate. And sometimes when you turn the TV on, if a TV preacher is saying to you that if you just have enough faith and follow God, your life will always be smooth, tell that to Jesus. Can you think of anybody who maybe did that better than Jesus? Or or if somebody tells you this or you hear it on the TV, listen, if you're going through a hard time, it is always, always because there's some sin in your life. Sometimes it is, but not always. Tell that to Jesus. As far as I can see, he didn't have any sin in his life. Things got kind of rough. See what I mean? So why in the world do hard times come? Why do we suffer? First is this, just write this down, and and it's not gonna make you feel better, it just is understanding by way of information. We live in a broken world. Anybody notice that? There's like catastrophes that happen. There's disease that overtakes. We live in a broken world. Our world is broken, right? Can we go a step further? Not only is our world broken, but our bodies are broken. Anybody want to amen that? Anybody feel that today? Yeah, our bodies are broken. We're broken, right? Christianity, this is worth writing down. This is a different sermon. Christianity, because I hear this. I'm just telling you stuff I hear in my office, okay? Christianity is not karma, don't mix those two things together. It is not karma. Karma is what goes around comes around, so all suffering is eventually fair. What goes around comes around. I just had somebody tell me that this last week. As I was going through a hard time, they said, hey, well, you know, what comes around goes around. I'm like, I'm going to hit you, and that's going to come around in a second, you know? <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I thought it. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. But, but, but it's not karma. Sometimes things happen that aren't fair. We live in a broken world. Can I give you a second reason that we face hard times? Sometimes it's our choices. I just write it down. Sometimes it's our choices. Sometimes we go through a really hard time because we're stupid. Amen? Come on. Can't say amen, say ouch. That's what I say, right? I mean, it's just our, so for the child of God, sometimes it's consequences to choices we've made. For the child of God, we have a father who loves us too much, but to leave us where we're at. And so sometimes it's discipline in our life and we just need to say it. That sometimes it's choices that we make and we reap what we sow. But sometimes the third reason is this, it's choices other people have made. And that's really hard. Like some of us are going through a hard time because of choices other people have made. Someone lied and now you're reaping. Someone abandoned, someone betrayed, someone deceived, and now you're reaping. And, and, and probably if I let you tell stories all over this place, there's stories. 
You see, our world's broken. We make stupid choices. Sometimes other people make stupid choices. We go through hard times. And there's a fourth reason, and you're not going to like it, but write it down anyways. You're not going to like it because it's not going to make you feel any different, any better. But sometimes we just don't understand. And, and, And the only thing I know to tell us about that is this, is that there is a God who is infinite. Do you believe that? He's infinite. And if there's meaning somehow behind all of this that this infinite God has, can we just at least admit that this little brain and heart of mine cannot contain infinity? It just can't do it. And that sometimes there's things that happen in my life that I just don't understand. They're beyond my understanding. You see... My hard time's different than yours. And so comparing our hard times is seldom helpful. There's different reasons we go through hard times. And it tells me one more thing. One explanation does not fit all hard times. You tracking with me? Like when somebody's going through a hard time, that's not the time to break out the verse. I got the answer, right? It's like, get out of my way, right? Because not all hard times are the same. So one explanation doesn't fit every hard time. There's one more thing about hard times. Inevitable, unpredictable, they're different. And I want you to write this down. They're revealing. Hard times in my life are revealing. In fact, Paul references that. He's like creation is waiting for things to be revealed in the children of God. I have been doing what what I'm doing as a pastor and working with people for a little over 26-ish years and I love what I do. It is an absolute privilege, but listen close. I don't want you to mishear me. It is a chosen burden at times. You're saying, what do you mean by that? Because it is a burden that I choose to sit with people sometimes in their darkest moments. Like, like I sit with people sometimes in their hardest times. Our pastors sit with people when they're struggling through some of their worst moments. I just wrote some things down that came to my mind really quickly. Can I read them to you? I've sat with people trying to process terminal cancer. I've navigated the loss of a child in auto accidents, watched families trying to make sense of suicide, families whose loved ones overdosed, stood in the yard with a family while their house burnt to the ground, sat in my office with a family while their loved one was being unjustly incarcerated, delivered the news to a wife and daughter that their husband and father just tragically died, watched the agony of abuse, walked with businessmen through bankruptcy, Witness the destruction of drugs, on and on and on and on. But here's what I found. Here's what I found. That as I've walked, and I have tons of stories, in Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Bob and others, we have tons of stories. And we all would say this, as we've watched different families walk through very similar kind of circumstances, what is interesting is this, is that whereas the situation and circumstances may be similar, the reactions hardly ever are neutral. For some families, as they walk through that, it makes them bitter. For others, it makes them better. For some, it tears them apart. Others, it's the glue that holds them together. For some, it makes them angry and drives them way far away from God. Others, it drives them into God. That somehow what Paul wants us to know is when the squeeze gets put on, it's just like a toothpaste tube. When the squeeze gets put on, what's inside comes out. And that my hard times in my life are very, very revealing Suffering, hard times can either make me or break me, which leads to this, and then we're done. Leads to this, right? That Paul wants us to get a handle on something. And here's the question we're gonna just start answering today and we're gonna finish next week. How then do I handle life when it's hard? That's, I think, what Paul wants to get at. How do I handle life when it's hard? And I think there's two things in specific. 
Look at verse 23 with me for a second. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, that's just, we belong to the family of God. We groan inwardly. That word groan, it's like real, it's guttural. It's like, Argh! as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, these bodies are breaking apart. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently in the same way spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. How in the world do I handle life when it's hard? There's two things I want you to write down mainly. First is this. I think what he wants us to know is this. I, you, we can be real in my hard times. Hard times can push us into God in a unique way. Think about it. Just think about it. When the plane is going down, everybody prays. Amen? Right? Hard times push you into God in a unique way. In fact, don't answer out loud. But when are you more prone to pray? When everything is smooth and things are going great or when all of a sudden things begin to fall apart? And then it's like, and here's what I want you to know. Everybody look here. I want you to know this. This is not a sermon. This is us in my office talking. You, you ready? Cross. You can be real with God. He can handle your realness. That's what Paul is simply saying. He's not saying we come to God with this sanitized prayer when things are really, really hard. He's saying we groan. We're like, ah, we can be real with God. Everybody listen, I want to tell you something. I want to teach you something I think is important for you to hear. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to hear me say this. Christianity, you ready? Christianity is not stoicism. Like we stoically go through life. Our life is falling apart. We're going through all kinds of hard things. How are you doing? Great, praise the Lord. You ever been to somebody like that? Everything's wonderful. You know, you just kind of smile. Listen to me. Chris, listen, think about it this way. Those who are followers of Christ, we ought to be the best people on the planet when it comes to being real in our hard times. Christianity is not some spiritual form of Tony Bennett. Raise your hand if you've ever heard Tony Bennett. You know the name? It's funny. Each service is going to get less and less. I love it. Look it up, because he has this song, and here's how it goes. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by if you smile through your fears and sorrow. Smile, and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness. Hide every trace of sadness, he says, although a tear Maybe ever so near. That's the time you must keep on trying. Smile. What's the use of crying? I was going to sing it for you, but that might make you cry, right? That is a load of garbage. Smile. That your life is falling apart. Smile. And many people think that's what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower. And I think what Paul is saying, huh? In fact, I would suggest this. In fact, you ought to write this down. We don't have time to read it. Go to the Psalms. Go to Psalm 73. Literally in that Psalm, he's like, I'm like calling out to God like a brute beast. 
I don't understand why the bad people seem to get away with this stuff. I don't understand why in the world you don't listen to me. I'm angry. I'm distressed. I feel abandoned. You read it. Love it. It's like raw. It's real. It's like God can handle our realness. Came across a writing this last week by a guy. I can't pronounce his name, so why try? But he was a professor of divinity and theology at Yale University. That tells me he's really smart, right? Whose son tragically died in a climbing accident. 12 years, 12 years, everybody listen, 12 years after that accident, he decided to write, lament for a son. I think the way he writes is what God gives us license to do. He says this, gone from the face of the earth, I wait for a group of students to cross the street. And suddenly I think, he's not there. I go to a ball game and find myself singling out the 25-year-olds. None of them is he. In all the crowds and streets and rooms and churches and schools and libraries and gatherings of friends in our world, on all the mountains, I will not find my son. Only his absence. Silence. Was there a letter from Eric today? When did Eric say he would call? Only silence. Absence and silence. When we gather now, there's always someone missing. His absence is as present as our presence. His silence is loud as our speech. Still five children, one always gone. When we're all together, we're not really all together. He says, I'm often asked whether the grief remains as intense as when I first wrote. The answer is no. The wound is no longer raw, but it has not disappeared. And then he says this, lean in, this is as it should be. If he was worth loving, he is worth grieving over. Grief is testimony to the worth of the one loved, and that worth abides So I own my grief. I don't try to put it behind me, get over it. I don't try to forget it. I go through it. I don't try to disown it. If someone asks, who are you? Tell me about yourself. I say, not immediately, but somewhere in the answer, I am the one who lost a son. That loss is part of my identity. It's not all of my identity, but it's much of it. It belongs within my story. I struggle indeed to go beyond just owning my grief to owning it redemptively. But I will and refuse to disown it. I shall remember Eric. Lament is part of my life. A friend told me that he had given copies of my book to all of his children. I asked him, why did you do that? He said, listen close, because it is a love song. He said, that took me back a bit. But then he said, yes, it is a love song. Every lament is a love song. See, I think I love the realness of just coming before God and saying, I hurt, I grieve, I don't understand. Don't miss this. Last week we said that life is belonging to the family of God. And so when life is hard, I can't forget that I belong to a family. And what Paul wants us to know is this, is that sometimes because I belong to this family, I cry to my father. That's what I do. I come and I just say, 
Daddy! That's what verse 14 is all about. He says, because we're sons, we cry. He doesn't say we come and say, hey, Daddy. That's what he's saying. He says, we come and we're like, Daddy! Where else do we see that? Where else do we see someone saying that? Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, which, by the way, is the place of crushing. And Jesus said to his disciples, you sit here while I pray. Took Peter, James, John with him. And then Jesus, God with skin on, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said, you stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he said, Daddy! Father, this is, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Sometimes I just cry to my father. Sometimes, you know what Paul says? You ought to write this down. Sometimes the spirit in me cries for me. You ought to write that down. Sometimes the spirit in me just cries for me. He says in the same way, verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Listen, listen, listen. Sometimes we don't even know what to say. You ever been, you ever been there? You ever been there? Like we don't know what to say. And so we come before God and he says that when we don't know what to say, we can be real. We run into God, not away from God and the spirit inside of us begins to speak for us. Begins to put words to our groans. And then I think there's a last thing and that's this. I belong to a family. Sometimes I cry with my family. This thing we're doing downstairs that Pastor Adam told us about is not just a program of Grace Church. We do life together. And the reason we do life together, and if you're not in a group, I would encourage you to get out and check it out. Because the same Paul said this later, don't just pretend in chapter 12, verse 9, to love others. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. See, the fact of the matter is, is that I can be real with God. Some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. I can have a Lieutenant Dan moment with God. I just met with somebody this last week and I said, have you told God about it? Stay with me on this. They said, no, I don't want him to know I'm angry. You're tracking with where I'm going, right? I looked at this person. I said, he already knows. He already knows. See, I can be real with God. And even when I don't have words, spirit of God inside of me. And then I have this family. And it says this, don't pretend like you love each other. But when the rubber meets the road is, can I be happy for people who are happy? That's a different sermon. But am I able to weep with those who weep. I can be real in the middle of my hard times, but here's the caution, which leads to the second thing, and it's where we're gonna go next week. 
The caution is this, I need to be careful not to follow my feelings because sometimes my feelings need to catch up with what I know. Sometimes in the middle of being real, I stop. Winston Churchill, those of you who like history, once said this, if you're going through hell, keep going. Why would you want to stop? See, the fact of the matter is, for the follower of Jesus, this life is as close to hell as you and I are going to get. Different sermon. So Paul says this, how do we handle hard times in our life? Here's how we handle it. We walk through hard times in our life into hope. He says, in this hope we were saved. He says, if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. For the follower of Christ going through a hard time, where is their hope anchored? There's two words, I think, that tell me where it's anchored. And then we're done. Verse 17. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The very first word that sticks out to me, and I want you to write this down somewhere, is the word share. Because in the middle of my hard times, I have confidence, my hope has confidence that God is working. God is accomplishing something. That's what we're going to talk about next week. I beg you to come. I read this this last week, and I like it. I don't have a screen for it. Sometimes I don't understand. Anybody with me? I don't understand why I'm going through a hard time. Anybody with me? Okay, three of you. Anybody with me? Anybody ever experienced that? Listen to this. Even when I don't see his plan or I cannot trace his hand, I can trust his heart. I love that. Sometimes God is working in me. He's rubbing things into me. Here's what I know is we all want to be more like Jesus, more like Jesus. Which Jesus? You mean the Jesus who, when I read his story, went through hard times? That's what Paul is saying. We share in his sufferings. But it doesn't stop there. He says, verse 18, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I want you to write down the word compare, and I'm going to invite Aiden Garrett to come out. Because what Paul wants you and I to know is it is worth it. That my hard times that I'm going through right now don't compare with the glory that will be revealed in me. Everybody listen. I do not compare my hard times with yours. That is never beneficial. But he said, what I do do is I compare the hard time I'm going through with the glory that will be revealed that I'll experience. And he uses this illustration, and I, I can't make it any better than Paul made it. And only half of us in this room fully understand it. He said it kind of like those nine months carrying a baby around. Us guys don't totally get that. But we hear you. At first, it's like, oh, wow, it's awesome. And then you get a few months in, it's like all of a sudden, it's like, wow. 
everything seems like it takes a little more energy. You start getting to the end, and it's like, oh, you know, we hear you. I've met some of you, and I just can't wait to have this baby. I don't want to go another day. And those of us who are husbands, we go in the delivery room with you, and we're amazed that anybody has two children, any family has two children. Us guys are, we're like, what? And we watch just like however many hours of just like intense. And then all of a sudden, baby. And it blows my mind. Because all of a sudden in the arms of that father and mother is a baby. And they look in that baby's eyes. And all of a sudden, nine months of exhaustion, hours of labor become worth it. Worth it forever. You see, Paul says that our present sufferings don't compare with the glory that we're going to experience. I'd love for you to bow your heads across this room because close your eyes if that's what you feel good doing, but everybody across the room, some of you are going through a hard time right now. I'd love no one to leave the room just for a minute. Some of you are going through a hard time right now. Everybody bow your heads. I just want you to do this for me. You might be here this morning and say, Pastor Dan, I am going through a hard time. Will you pray for me this morning? I just want you to lift your head so my eyes can meet yours. I see that. All across this room, I see. I see that. God, you saw those across this room right now. They're going through a hard time. And I pray they would leave here knowing that they have a father they can be real with. That even if they don't have words, there's a spirit who will help make sense of things for them. And that there's a family that they can cry with. Some of you in the room, you're walking with people who are going through a hard time. Can I give you some encouragement? You do not have to have all the answers, nor should you. And sometimes what they need most is just your presence. Maybe what they need most is your prayer. Maybe what they need most is that you just help them accomplish something that just seems too hard right now for them to do. But God, I am so grateful this morning that as we sit here in this room, we can just be real. That sometimes life is hard, and for some of us, it's hard right now. Right now, it's hard, and we don't understand it. Some of us, it's hard because of choices we've made, and some of us, it's hard because we are bearing consequence of other people's choices so we just want to come and say help us but God I pray that you would go beyond help and help us to walk into hope so that what awaits us as followers of Christ would cause what we're walking through now to pale in comparison God I'm so grateful this morning that we can just be real with you